in the episode 48 of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast, I interview Alex Ship. He is the chief strategy officer of Offshift.io. And Offshift is a pioneering privacy finance platform. So, what does that mean? Well, Offshift is the world's first private derivatives platform with zero slippage, zero liquidations and ZK assets. So in this episode, Alex and I, we talk about all the things going in the world of privacy, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Merge, Tornado Cash, Crypto Mixers and much, much more. Hello, innovators, explorers and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities, and my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building? What are they paying attention? So you can take advantage of it. So you can benefit from it. However, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice. I would still highly encourage you to do your own research. I have nothing to sell you. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. So yeah, so my my first question is, Alex, it's great to have you on the show and I would love to know about Offshift and how it works and how you got started with Offshift. Yeah, yeah, so two big questions there. I mean, thank you again, it's it's a pleasure to be on. I, I'll say first, you know, Offshift is, we're really pioneering PriFi, which is private decentralized finance. You know, that's that's a term that's really taken off in the crypto space and, and it really refers to, you know, these, DeFi or decentralized finance applications that, you know, confirm, protect, you know, user privacy. And, and the key element there is that they, they're also on layer one, <laughs> on layer one Ethereum, ideally, because if they're not in these decentralized environments, we're, we're really not moving forward. And I mean, when you, when you talk about what's going on in Ethereum and their sort of transition, it's all about scalability without sacrificing decentralization. So for us, we believe yes. privacy without sacrificing decentralization, it's sort of the same deal. And so, um, you know, we're we're really sort of building out these these applications that are that that live on layer one Ethereum that offer users synthetics that can protect their anonymity or confidentiality and, and sort of our approach is that privacy on chain privacy should be sort of a simple you know two click like one click like real quick stop where it shouldn't involve you being super tech savvy it shouldn't be super expensive it shouldn't be super complicated it should be something that a user can just decide you know sort of on a dime and, and click their way through so. That's sort of the first part. I can go into much more about what we're building and why and, and just some of the other things around the project. My own personal story coming in was sort of coming from a financial background. I've been working in a financial services. I told this story a few times, but I'll, I'll give the you know sort of abbreviated version here was my job at this sort of internship or early stage position in my life at this financial services firm, they helped out firms with distressed debt. And they specialized in a particular macroeconomic sector that was experiencing distress. And they would reach out to these bulge bracket banks, the Goldman's and JP Morgan's and everything about their, their clients or their loan recipients that weren't going to be able to repay their loans. And my job was to go through a Bloomberg terminal during this time. It was like 2013, 2014. Yes. Oil was tanking. And so the exploration and production companies that were drilling for oil, some of them were going to have trouble managing some of their debt obligations. Yeah, I thought that all of them, 
every single company in the whole world based on the Bloomberg data wasn't going to be able to manage it. And it was explained to me that I was just looking for companies that couldn't service the debt. That means pay interest. I didn't realize that in order to repay principal, always have to get a bridge loan. In other words, you can only repay the principal by getting a new loan. And so to me, it seemed like the entire financial system was really controlled by really powerful private entities and ultimately central banks. And that sort of led me into Bitcoin and, and sort of this whole alternative financial arena quickly led to Ethereum and defined the programmability in that space. And it felt to me like privacy was the, really the key missing component in this sort of like data economy that's that's emerging very rapidly. Whether you talk about GameFi, whether you talk about NFTs, whether you talk about anything. So so that's sort of how I connected with Opshift and saw what they were doing and thought that this is really the next the next sort of frontier. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's fantastic. When it comes to privacy, I have so many questions. Too. <laughs> okay, okay, let's yeah, yeah, let's let's go. First of all, um, who currently uses Offshift? What type of clients use Offshift? I mean, why do they need to use Offshift? Yeah, so I mean, anyone, I mean, I guess you could really say that they're, you know, Offshift, we're building out our, our debut platform, Offshift and on. So the question, I guess, could be, you know, who will use or who was our target market? And obviously, in the spirit of, you know, sort of the, the absolute openness and inclusivity that's that's native to the Western paradigm, anyone can and should be able to. That means institutions, that means individuals, but it could also mean, you know, hedge funds. It could mean, you know, capital funds. It could be anyone that wants to protect the trading strategy. Maybe they have alpha and they don't want other people watching their wallets. Could mean whales, could mean just any any individual user. The reasons, though, I think, like you said, why would they use option? Why would they engage in these sort of this this PriFi arena. I think, you know, there are two really big reasons that are arising. One is this humanitarian approach to privacy, which is people believe that privacy is an, an individual right. I interviewed Edward Snowden a couple months ago in June and we really had it went took a deep dive there and, and he sort of spoke into empirically why human beings need privacy that um, it's sort of, he says that, you know, freedom of saying, it's sort of like saying, I don't need freedom of speech because I have nothing to say. It's like saying, you know, I have nothing to hide, so I don't need privacy. Is that it's so instrumental. Freedom is, is you know, without privacy, freedom begins to, to sort of wither and degrade. And, and that's like, un unfortunately, a very harsh reality. And so a lot of people are interested from that humanitarian angle that we all deserve and are entitled to freedom. And then there's the other angle, which is that sort of economist article from a few years ago, which said that data is now the world's most valuable commodity ahead of oil. And so a lot of people are realizing that the data that they're generating should actually be theirs. And the wealth that's vested in it is, is wealth that they are really entitled to. And so a lot of individuals are just interested in finding systems which protect or rather honor their right to the wealth that's vested in their data. And they want to see a market forming around their data. And the only way to do that you know, sort of like the negotiation starts at the word no, you know, this data economy begins at privacy. Privacy is where the Googles or the the Facebook. the Facebooks yes. else, but and the in the on-chain space, in the blockchain space, it would be the chain analysis and the Nansens when they were as well, like, we actually can't access this data. But we do have a really strong set of clientele lined up. We do have a really well-established business model. Maybe we need to approach these individuals and ask them, hey, we are selling your data for this amount. We are. We do have an interest in your data. We are willing to spend money on it. What is what is the going rate? What are you willing to pay? And that's when a market starts to form. So people have a financial interest. Other people are principled and you know sort of humanitarian yeah. interest, and we're there to serve both markets. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. So give me a give me a use case. Say I'm I don't know. I'm I'm just uh, throwing. Say I'm a I'm a whale, and I'm gonna buy I don't know five million worth of it, and so. What's the benefit for me to use Offshift? 
Uh, I mean, would I be someone who'd be looking at Offshift or, or yeah, I just want to understand sort of some use case examples. Yeah, so I mean, I'll give a little bit of background first, but yeah, you yes. you certainly would, and we do anticipate that while we we do everything we can to serve you know traders and individuals that prefer a low cost, you know, I guess you could say that demographic that prefers a low cost trading environment. We also are aware that individuals that you know large net worth, you know, high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals, whales like called me crypto, and of course funds, which naturally have lots of have lots of capital, have an interest in protecting their trading strategy because imitation trading is very common, right? And so anyone that has a sort of a really strong strategy in the blockchain space is, you know, at least in traditional finance, you, you do have required reporting, but it's offset or delayed. In crypto, you can just easily program someone to copy a wallet address and, you know, basically gain from whatever strategy they're using. And so any capital fund really could could have an interest in 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 sort of masking their trades and their alpha. Now, yeah. to explain the platform to give you a little bit of background on the platform and how it functions. Like uh, we, I mean, there are really two avenues to privacy, right? One is anonymity, where the assets or the on our platforms you can mint synthetics, so where the synthetics are totally visible, but their owners are not. And then on the other end, you have confidentiality, which is where the owner, the address is totally visible, but the assets, the content of the assets is not, you know, like you, you have the manila folder that says classified, you know, that the person has the folder, you don't know the contents though, right? That's, that's confidential. So on our forthcoming, you know, platform, which is Offshift and on, you can take your capital and put it into the protocol. And in the process, you are minting these synthetic assets, these anon assets, and they are what they are pegged to is totally visible. So they're fully standard ERC-20 tokens, you know, fully public, but you're dissociated from your capital in the process of minting them. So, um, you know, there's that's, that's sort of one avenue where you can dissociate yourself from your capital and have it minted at a new address. And then, of course, on the confidential end, the, the idea would be, you know, you can mint these confidential assets. No one knows what they're pegged to. So in that event, you know, say you don't want someone to know that you're minting ZKF or ZKBTC or ZK Gold, for example, right? So, and then like, of course, that also brings into this conversation about commodities, off-chain assets that you want to have exposure to, but you want to have the benefits that are conferred by privacy and some of the other benefits of, you know, on-chain trading in general. So synthetics are very exciting, but if you bring privacy into the mix and you have private synthetics, there's a lot that you can do. And there, there are a lot of traders and a lot of investors and a lot of users that you can serve. Yeah. So it's, I don't know if you are aware of things such as whale alert or whale map or whale watchers. These are the sort of things we follow all the whale trades and stuff and, yeah. and that sort of, so, so then if someone is going through off shift, they won't be able to follow those trades. Would, would that be right? So, so. You know, really, to me, like the the big thing there is is absolutely those tools exist, like whale watchers, all those sorts of things. And that, I mean, this goes right back to the the interview I had with. So yeah, thank thank you. So it really like right from the the interview with Snowden. I mean, he pointed to Chainalysis and Nansen. Those were sort of the examples we talked about. But whale watchers is another great example. These sorts of they're. I mean, this is just natural free market activity. There is a yeah. great way to earn alpha by imitating, you know, more intelligent traders in real time. I mean, so there's no, there's no one, no one really in this crypto space that most very libertarian minded people that sort of on that philosophy, the space was founded upon. No one wants to say, hey, we should make whale watchers illegal. We should shut them down. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. Yeah. They're just, their actions and th what they've developed are, are really sort of hallmarks or indicators of the fact that data is valuable. <laughs> they yeah. made this based on the available data. And so, yeah, by creating a sort of privacy-centric platform, you create one of two situations. One is where you protect user privacy and the other is where the users aren't really that interested in their privacy. 
they just believe that they deserve a cut of what they're generating in the form of data. So either way, you know, it's a big win for the user and the user gets to choose how he or she, uh, you know, or, or they, in the case of an institution, how, how they want to play this privacy. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So you're putting the control back in the hands of the user and they can choose. Since we are talking about privacy, we have to address the elephant in the in the room and that's Tornado Cash. And what are your views on, on Tornado Cash? Yeah, I mean, it, it really has been sort of a big thing that's been rippling across the space. And for us, it's been, I mean, as always, like you really have to take these things very seriously and, and think about things, you know, internally and have discussions before you come forward with anything at all, because those are serious allegations and it is a very serious situation. I think, you know, on one hand, the, the really big positive thing that's come out of it is that the, the privacy space has sort of emerged into the mainstream even more. And so these issues get sort of there are a lot of people, I believe Sean Adams and, and like several other people that have changed their, their portfolio pictures on crypto Twitter to Tornado Cash. People are commenting on it. People are realizing that that privacy is a human right, but it's also, you know, a hit with sort of our responsibility as well. It's not a right that we should expect to be protected necessarily and in all scenarios. Um, and so, you know, something we're sort of still looking at and, and going to see how it unfolds before we make any sort of drastic assumptions or take any action. But yeah, it is. It is a serious thing. And the question again about is privacy a right or not is, is sort of irrelevant because it, it's more about, you know, whether you're going to fight to protect it and whether you're going to sort of, you know, take action in the affirmative for yourself, because if you don't, you will have no privacy. Yep. Yep. Um, so what should happen to Tornado Cash? Should they be allowed to continue? Should they be, I don't know, in, in your view, of course, this is your view, this does not express offshore policy or, or anything, but in your view, what should happen? What should the government do? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't have, have the answer on this one, like as a clear cut answer about yeah. how policy should form. However, I will, I will weigh in though and say a little bit, which is that, you know, tornado cash and, and sort of the sanctions that they impose, like you see the point one S being sent out to all of these different addresses. And again, you see the need for privacy there because now all of these individuals that are quite famous from different NFT drops and NFT projects that they market or participated in now have their addresses fully public. They can just get a point one S sent through Tornado Cash their addresses, and then you have all sorts of issues popping up. And so I think any sorts of policies, putting out all these blanket policies in this decentralized space, it's really, really difficult to create enforceable rules. And you also have to create intelli sort of intelligent, well thought out rules. And that certainly what's been done is not is not a functional solution because of how easy it is to just send point one S out from somewhere with large amount of capital to a bunch of addresses. Um, what you see with a lot of people in the space is, you know, feeling like, you know, this, this sort of goes back to this. You see a lot of the same arguments surfacing that you've seen with gun rights, which is that should guns be blamed or should this? It really is a very similar sort of situation. One, probably, you know, decentralized protocols being even less dangerous. But, you know, you see a sort of a lot of the same, which is who really deserves the blame for people that do bad things? And to what degree should individual rights be eroded further and further and further and further in order to prevent some people from doing some bad things? And, you know, that's certainly, you know, not a question that I'm, I'm here to really dissect that, you know, that, you know what, what do. But yeah, it, it brings up a serious issue because a lot of people are just feeling like they're going to have absolutely nothing left, no rights left at all. Yes. Just, you know, in terms of security. Yeah, yeah. Probably there weren't that many rights left. It's just that now we know that there weren't that many rights left. Right, right. Yeah, sir. But I mean, like, you know, it's just to speak to it. Yeah, like, there's the famous Benjamin Franklin quote that says, those who are willing to give up, you know, their their liberty or their freedom in exchange for security are worthy of neither and will ultimately lose both. I think yeah. that is really at the individual level, really, that speaks volumes about, you know, where we find ourselves today. Yep. 
Very, very interesting. So where do you see this whole fire space in the next three years or so? Um, I wouldn't ask you 10 years because that's a very long time in, in crypto and blockchain. It's like we age in, in faster than dog years. So um, yeah. yeah, even three years yeah. is too long. But yeah, maybe say two years <laughs> in two years. Yeah, I was, about, I was about to say three years is like really stretching it. But yes. you know, within a couple of years, I think, I think, you know, one of like was what we're commenting on really and what we're narrowing in on there is like where Ethereum will be also. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as of now, it certainly seems to me that Ethereum is like the home base for this sort of programmable environment, like this, this Turing complete smart contract environment. And that's where privacy centric applications will either live or and their standalone blockchains. And the challenge with standalone blockchains is that they're more easy to target. They rely on centralized exchanges to be for trading. I mean, you saw that with like Bittrex delisting, I believe it was Monero and was it Zcash? But it was, yeah, I think it was Monero, Zcash, and I believe Dash. It was like last year even. Why is that? And I believe there, I mean, it was, uh, did you hear about this? I mean, it no, was- No, I missed was, that button, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's an interesting thing to sort of look into. But the reason that they, Bittrex, which is, you know, a pretty, pretty big, heavy beauty, a leading global exchange, centralized global exchange, was because they had, they were feeling some sort of pressures from, from some authorities. Not really fully clear which ones, but it just goes to show that, you know, unless there's a really strong cross-chain solution there and, and one that can be trusted not to cave in the exact same ways, you have these sorts of issues with, with off-chain solutions, which is that they do present they don't necessarily inherently prevent singular points of failure, but in trading between other chains and having these bridges in this open Web3 system, there are some challenges for them. So I think really PriFi is going to find itself on where are the, the you know, the really dominant layer one blockchains. And if there is more than if, if, you know, for example, if Polkadot ends up really picking up steam, then maybe there's another one. But I mean, it's really hard to say how many of these layer ones will be able to compete with Ethereum if the, you know, the merge, verge, splurge, all that, if that whole process of that whole transition... <laughs> Yeah. goes really well and it really scales while maintaining its decentralization and a lot of validators and a lot of people stake and it, it goes really well then i suspect that it will be a really a pro ethereum pri-fi space and, and doing it on layer one will be probably the most robust solution but you, you may see a lot of pri-fi stuff trying to do trying to do lay two, layer twos but or, or operating on existing layer twos but i think that is where a lot of privacy is going to live because it's not really about you know get a lot of questions like you get a lot of sort of I would say advice coming in or a lot of people, you can call them shills, whatever you want to call them, but saying, check out this project, check out this project. And the thing is, people are going to want privacy where they live, which is in this yes. Ethereum right now seems to be the home base. And yeah. so, you know, it needs to be as user-friendly and as simple, no ifs, ends, or bridges, as we say. Um, and, and so that's why I think like, you know, it's going to be not how easily can you create a new blockchain that, in you know, is conducive to privacy-centric operations. It's how well and how technically, you know, sound are you to be able to build privacy centric applications in this, you know, on in this, you know, account based system in this inherently public blockchain. But I think that's really where a lot of the, the brilliant technicians are going to emerge. Very, very interesting. So are there any L2s that are that you are bullish about? I mean, to us, that that's really not in my wheelhouse. Oh, I mean, okay, okay. So yeah, yeah. you get a lot of questions about that because you see ZK zero knowledge proofs yeah. have our net ZK rollups in particular, yeah. you know, are used in 
you know, for scalability. But like that application of Z like ZK Rollup, for example, and what we're doing with ZKs, like Bulletproofs and things like this, and, and even ZK yes. Starks to protect privacy, it's, it's really very different what the ZK proofs are being used for. So I will respectfully say that I'm not sure. I don't want to comment, pick any winners at this stage. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, by the way, I will put a disclaimer earlier and at the end as well that this is not investment advice. I am just getting the views of what is happening in the industry, not affiliated with any of the 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 blockchains not sponsored by any of the blockchains do your own research but i still like to know what is going on in the market i everyone that i interview is either a founder or a builder and everyone that i interview is super bullish on on ethereum not only in the privacy or defi or any of this space but just super bullish on on ethereum they have always been so far i haven't interviewed a single person that's been a bitcoin maximalist so so i mean that's why my views are are tainted but any any views on on future of bitcoin Oof. I mean, I think, well, you spoke to the tornado cash thing. I think that's one of the big things that's come out of it, which is that Bitcoin is more friendly to regulators and governments than a lot of people in the space might have thought. It seems like privacy is really what, what you know, that's where you see the friction and that's where you see the sparks start to fly. And that Bitcoin, as, as much as a, it is a threat to, you know, the, you know, the existing fiat currency regimes, it, it is public and, and, or pseudonymous, so to speak. And people are finding out more and more that it doesn't really confer privacy. And as especially as like these on-chain data analytics companies are getting, you know, more and more, you know, on point with with their technologies and their solutions. I don't think that's I don't I think Bitcoin actually has a brighter future now in light of this privacy stuff. I don't think Taproot was ever really a big privacy solution or a big threat. And so I think really the privacy solutions will be built on Ethereum. And I don't expect to see a lot of, you know, privacy centric Bitcoin stuff, you know, in the future. Oh, that is a fantastic take. That is a hot take, actually. <laughs> um, I love what you just said. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, all the Bitcoin maximalists go on about how private it is and how like, you know, because they they want privacy and they go for Bitcoin. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and kind of decentralization and stuff. That's why they go for Bitcoin. But very, very interesting take on on that. So, so yeah. So when is Offshore live? Because I know the pilot is live. You guys are live on Testnet. Girly Testnet, you guys are live. So when when are you guys going live for for public if anyone wants to interact with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I will clarify that, like, you know, Bitcoin will have, as, as Ethereum goes to proof of stake and stuff, you know, you'll see these, like Bitcoin and Ethereum will have very unique value propositions. And so I expect them both to thrive in their own ways. So I'm not, you know, definitely don't want to say like Bitcoin is not going to, you know, go the distance. As far as our platform, though, yeah, we we are live on the Gurley testnet with our with our now V2 pilot. And so we're moving along. We released our development roadmap to testnet for our, our yes. platform off and on. That that testnet, like the full, the full featured testnet, as we would call it, will be live in October. October. I mean, we're, you know, right on track there and everything's going really well. But you can play around with the pilot. And the really good thing is, you know, we've given a really detailed instructions. It's all CLI, which is command line interface. But anyone who's never used command line, you don't have to be technical to do it. You can go right through the instructions. It takes five minutes. And you can say, okay, this functions, this works. And so recently the V2, now, you know, we've integrated Oracle price feeds. And so you can see some variable pricing there and some different things. But, you know, as far as like that, that getting the really nice GUI up and everything, that's, that's really all about October. And so we're really excited for that and moving towards that date without, without really any, any big road bumps. So. But I do encourage anyone, though, again, like you do not have to be technical to use this pilot. It's actually a really good introduction to some technical things because it's, it's so simple. Yep. Yep. And and is the token live? I think the token is live, right? On on sushi swap and pancakes. Yeah. 
And Uniswap? Yes, Swift too, yes. Yeah, Uniswap and and we do have like our LP rewards program. Mostly it's on yes. it's on SushiSwap at this point. You know, a while ago, like last year, gas fees were super high. And so through our DAO, the community voted to deploy XFT on, on BSC, Binance Smart Chain, so that it could be listed on PancakeSwap for people who preferred low-cost trading. But at this point, Ethereum gas fees aren't as high as they used to be in this environment. Yes. So there hasn't been a lot of reason for people to use the bridge. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's predominantly on Ethereum, which is totally fine by us. Yeah, yeah, but it could change. It could change anytime. The fees could change anytime. I know that there has been so much activity around around Ethereum in the last two weeks just because of the whole merge thing coming. And so, yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Do, when do you expect the merge to happen? The, the merge to what? To happen. Like, when do you expect the merge to go live or like... Well, I believe it's. I believe it was the date announced for January, September fifteenth to sixth. I believe that's that's when it's set for. Yeah. But it you could know, be delayed. Us, yeah. Oh, that's possible too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to us, like, I mean, the merge is part of this, like, this five piece thing, right? And it's like the merge, the surge, the verge, the purge, and I think the splurge is the last one. And, and oh, so, can you can you please explain? Can you elaborate on those five things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll speak to uh, to what I understand. And, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not Vitalik Peter, but I will, I will speak to you in a bit. Yeah. I mean, really, it's, it's all about this, this goal to expand scalability without sacrificing decentralization, which I alluded to earlier. I mean, it, it's really about, can we make this thing more scalable without just creating another visa? Because, you know, again, less, we're, we're not really making progress in the first place. So there is this sort of these, these five pieces, and I listed them. The merge is the first one, and the merge is probably... The most significant in that it kicks off all five, but the five are kind of taking place, not necessarily in lockstep, but there are elements of each which are taking place. The merge is the part where this beacon chain, this new proof of stake chain, merges with the existing Ethereum mainnet. And so you have Ethereum, which is now operating with proof of stake consensus. And most people know about that. Yeah. They're not as familiar with the with the other four pieces, which the, the, the merge doesn't really necessarily affect us directly or, or any mm. sort of privacy-centric applications or potential, but it does initiate the process. And so the, the the two pieces which I would say are relevant, I mean, some people may be interested in the surge because it has to do with increasing scalability for, you know, with for, again, ZK rollups. And that takes place. That's what this whole sharding thing is about. But again, that's really more for layer two. And, and Vitalik has spoken about moving towards a more layer two focused sort of Ethereum rather than layer one focused. But it's really where our, our eyes are at and, and where I think Anyone that's really doing big privacy work, doing serious privacy development on Ethereum is looking at the verge, which is where you have, in, in, you know, in short, you have smaller proof sizes. Um, and, and what that really means is that it's faster to verify proofs. Zero knowledge or ZKP, zero, zero knowledge proofs are super, super computationally intensive. It's something we've dealt with a lot in development process. I mean, we've talked to our community about a lot. And so that's really exciting to see how the verge, how that, that third part of the of this whole transition takes place and takes form because that's where privacy centric applications will have a lot of really good opportunities to sort of capitalize and see you know what is feasible now in light of 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 the verge and so you know something we keep our eyes on and i think a lot of there may be other people that have their eyes on it as well i suspect Oh, that's that's very interesting. Cool. I will do a episode just on those five things of <laughs> Ethereum. I'll do more research on that. So just just kind of as educational content and stuff. So yeah. So no, that that sounds that sounds super cool. Before we go, do you have any requests? Is there anything that you are looking for, or or what is your ask? Are you looking for team members? Are you looking for investment? What are you looking for? 
well, we're we're all you know we we have no VCs or or capital funds or anything involved. That was sort of like our commitment decentralization from day one. But that being said, we are a, like a truly open community and and sort of our our as you call it an ethos, but really our principles are are the principles on which crypto is founded. You know, we are truly one of the most principled grassroots projects you know around in the space. So if that sounds like something that you know if you're looking for something that's a little bit less flashy and shiny and isn't trying to make as much noise, but is doing something truly principled and is committed to decentralization, I would encourage you to reach out because, you know, we're interested in people that want to add value however they can. We're interested in people whose values align with ours and, and to come follow us on Twitter, check us out on Telegram and come join us. So, you know, that that that's sort of where we stand. And we find that that corner of the space, that principled corner is getting smaller and smaller. And the yeah. space sort of grows up and evolves. And so that's, that's you know, for those people out there, you know, and, and it's obviously we're open to everyone. But, you know, if that sounds like that, that's your, you know, cup of tea, come, come, you know, hit us up. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the Web3 with Sam Samani podcast. You know the drill. Leave a comment. Please subscribe or share it with a friend. Now, if you are building something really interesting in this space, then reach out to me. My DMs are open. I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform. Just go and search for my name. Reach out to me. I would love to help you. I would love to have a conversation with you if time permits. So having said that, I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building. I know that about 35 to 40% of my listeners are founders themselves. So I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation.